last time on Compelled. My beginnings were injured at birth. Um, some have referred to as the worst injury that could ever happen, short of being decapitated. I was a hypocritical youth pastor that would go and do all these things, quote-unquote, in the name of Jesus, and then go home and just be an absolute wretch. All of a sudden, when I'm hearing these words, it's like if I got a heart transplant. It's like if the veil was lifted from my eyes. And I said, hey, Dad, can I read you something real quick? He said, yeah. So I start reading him all these different verses that talk about, like, literally God's, like, sovereignty at work in the believer's life. He was not down for that at all. He was like, God's not sovereign. Nobody explained to me medically why I wouldn't have children. They just said I wouldn't. Um, just facing these fears in high school, like a girl might never want a guy in a wheelchair, you know? My friend Ryan was in the class with me, and I was like, she texted me. So I'm like, hi, how are you? We started texting, and after that, like, led to phone calls, and phone calls led to sermon dates. One thing led to another, um, I ended up, you know, asking for her hand in marriage. I'm Paul Hastings, and you're listening to Compelled, a weekly podcast with unique stories from the kingdom of God told by the people compelled to live for him. This is episode 29 of our podcast, which means that after today, we'll only have one more episode left in season two. So if this is your first time joining us, I'd really encourage you to listen to some of our other episodes in season one and in season two. And if you've been listening with us ever since the beginning, then thank you for being a steadfast listener. Last week, we heard part one of Jonathan Pacheco's story, a young man who was severely disabled at birth when his spinal cord was nearly severed and has lived his entire life in a motorized wheelchair. Jonathan shared about his journey of faith and understanding about God's sovereignty and goodness, even in the face of severe disability. If you haven't listened to part one yet, then I'd highly encourage you to do that before listening to today's story. You can find it at compelledpodcast.com. Today is part two of Jonathan's story. We're picking up where Jonathan left off last week, right as he was concluding the love story between him and his friend, Elena. Little did Jonathan know, though, that he was about to encounter one of the hardest struggles of his life. That story coming up right after a word from today's sponsor. So to recap part one of Jonathan's story from last week, after coming to Christ, God led Jonathan into a friendship with a young lady named Elena, which bloomed into a beautiful relationship over the course of several months. And that's where we left off. And we're picking up this week shortly after Jonathan and Elena realized that due to a volatile situation in Elena's home life, as well as a close family member of Elena's who recommended that she get married before things got significantly worse, they decided to get married almost immediately. I had 216, I think it was exactly that, 216 in my pocket, dollars. And as we're going to get married, um, we stop at a jewelry store. And it was really, really funny because, you know, I go in there and... I'm like, hi, I'm looking for some rings. And he's like, yeah, okay, what's your budget? I'm like, like, that's the most affordable rings you have. And he looks at me, and I could tell like he had compassion. He's like, oh, come over here, man. So he like walks me around the store, and he takes me to this like back little, uh, you know, corner of the shop. He pulls out, like, no joke, this, like, Dennis office treasure box. <laughs> and he opens it up, and he's like, and he turns it around, and he shows me. And I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> he's like, so, yeah, I, yeah, I could probably do these for pretty, pretty good price. I'm like, oh, man. And I'm like, how embarrassing. 
embarrassing. Like, is this plaster? <laughs> like, what is this? So I'm like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I was like, I, I love her and she loves me. And like, if the Lord's in this, like, I'm like, oh man, what if I can't even afford these? So then I pull one out and it's like silver. I was like, hey, this is real silver. I was like, okay, I'll take this one. I was like, hey, this one's pretty. So I took it. I was like, how much for these? And he goes, man, I think he charged me $25 for both of them. Wow. And I'm like, yes, praise the Lord. So we leave and I didn't even think about sizing or anything, right? I was uh, just like, whatever, it doesn't matter. Uh, so we put them in our pocket, we drive off and we get to Oklahoma in time. We do the marriage license in time. Uh, the gentleman that was going to do the ceremony, he was like leaving and locking up for the day. Oh my goodness. We begged him to, to, you know, do the ceremony. He did. We got married and it, it was, it was, yeah, such a, such a huge provision from the Lord. Because in that moment, like, as you can imagine, I'm still subconscious, like, oh, what in the world is going on? Like, did it really have to be like this? Of course I would have married her. Of course I love her with all my heart. But Lord, like, I didn't imagine, like, having to do it this way, you know? Like, I wanted, like, a family there. I wanted her family there. Like, I wanted, like, I mean, it just seemed like a big celebration, you know? It was the most special day of my life. And um, so at that point, I started feeling sad, like, what I'm about to say I do. But then when I put the ring on her finger... It fit perfectly. Mm. When she put the ring on my finger, it fit perfectly. Mm. And at that point, I knew the Lord was in it. Mm. And I knew, thank you, Lord. And the Lord was able to give me such peace and joy to press on, proceed through it. So I did. Got married. It was wonderful. I didn't have a dollar at all to my name, and I couldn't afford any uh, honeymoon or anything. So my brother-in-law so graciously paid for our hotel room to stay at a hotel in Grapevine. He paid for our dinner to eat at Red Robin. Nice. And uh, yeah, it was a it was a real treasure. So we uh, the next day, I I knew I couldn't live with my friend Travis. So we ended up the second night of being married, um, spending the night under my parents' dining room table. The third night ended up setting up camp in my parents' living room on an inflatable mattress. Nice. Yeah. So you know, I didn't have any moment. To think like, does she really love me or not? And that's a kind of the Lord, because you know I, I was I was always analytical, overthinking everything. So the Lord shielded me and protected me. These circumstances helped me to see like, and praise the Lord, like she does love me because the Lord gave her that love for me. Yeah. You know, um, and if the Lord gave her that love for me, that it's a love that no one could break, mm. no, no one could take that away, no one could change that. Mm. Um, and it was so encouraging and healing, and you know. We took a year, no, actually two years to really like grow and like, you know, just be free from our fears and anxieties and all these things. It seemed like the Lord was really like uniting us as a couple. And one of the little fears poked its little head out was of children. And I'm thinking like, man, this woman is like such a blessing. Like shame on me that I ever got married to her. Cause like, I won't be able to have children, you know, like, so she's not gonna be a mom. Like. I like ruined the most faithful mom. Like, oh, and I felt like guilty. And then the Lord would like bring me back home and be like, hey, don't be a fool. Like, you know, like remember what I've done. And the Lord would bring me back to realizing who he is and how faithful he is. And, you know, it's not of the arm of the flesh to advance his kingdom or bring about any of these things. All of a sudden, like I'm, I'm reading and there's a Spurgeon sermon that I was reading. It's called Sermons on Men of the Bible. And it got to Enoch and it was Sermon on Enoch. And I really felt like, I mean, I don't know how to explain it. And I really felt that the Lord was going to give me a son and his name was going to be Enoch. 
I'm second anniversary. I'm still struggling with it. And I end up start crying. She's like, why are you crying? I said, I'm so sorry. I can't give you children. And she was like, we have to go through this again. It's like, no, <laughs> but yes, like I'm still struggling. She's like, yeah. She's like, I'm so sorry. So she gave me a hug and she's like, look, maybe God's answering your prayer. I was like, what prayer? She said, you prayed the night we got married that God would give us two years without children so that we could really learn to like be a biblical house, a family and a marriage that's like right and biblical and that you didn't want what you had as a child and I didn't want what I had as a child. We wanted more. We wanted a, a, a home that that is really worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth and that he reigns in that home to give the kids that atmosphere, that environment, that gospel. I was like, I prayed that. She goes, yeah. I said, wow. She was like, so there you go. God answered your prayer. I'm like, thank you, Lord. Wow, amen. Well, my Enoch was born exactly nine months later. Wow. Man, the Lord is just so steadfast in that. And it's been so encouraging to look back on this timeline and be like, man, thank you, Lord. You sure were gracious and all of that. But, you know, even when I doubted him, he didn't say, okay, well, because you failed on this, I'm now going to not give you a son named Enoch. You know? No, his promises are sure. And even when we're not faithful, he remains faithful. Jonathan and Elena were overjoyed with the birth of their son, Enoch, who was then joined a couple of years later by another son, Apollos. During this time, Jonathan started an online company focused on gun sales. But what he originally intended as a way of providing for his family soon became all-consuming and devoured every hour of his day and night. And I ended up working like 50, 60, sometimes 70 hours a week, and it was just way too much. And I was destroying myself. I was losing sight of the Lord. You know, I wasn't serving him the slightest. It became an idol in my heart to Mm. provide and to be. And, um, you know, I just, you know, I heard a sermon that, you know, man doesn't provide for his family is worse than all the sinners. I'm like, that's it. I can't, I got to do that. That's what God wants me to do. Um, and all the while, the, the struggle was to simply trust and obey. Okay? Mm. I, I, wanted to, I wanted to make it look like my idea of that. Mm. But the Lord always has greater. And anyways, that company literally almost killed me. In that season, it was, I was just doing horrible. I wasn't going to prayer meetings. I wasn't even going to church in time. I wasn't making an effort to do anything. I was so caught up in work. Um, because my thought was, like, get my family out of this home, my parents' home, you know? Mm. Um, and, and even when we moved into this apartment, you know, the same thing. It was like this struggle to, like, maintain a balance and to really do things right. Um, and oftentimes, I'd get carried away with it. Um, because, you know, from my mind, well, men are safe when they could go eight to five do a physical job of some sort, come home and provide that way. I don't have that luxury in my mind. So I thought, well, if I'm advancing my own company, that's why I would always justify it. Like saying, well, that's why I have to do it. Like one day it will be better. One day it will be better. Um, and, you know, I wasn't telling my pastors at my church how much I was working. I wasn't, I wasn't doing any of that, you know, and my wife, you know, by God's grace, like, you know, she, she was enduring, but she was getting really wore out mm. and really like, at the end of the line. And at that point, I had never seen her lose like heart. And I, I was starting to see it. And I realized that like my son, 
I didn't really know much about him. I didn't know as much about him as I wanted or hoped to at all. I didn't have this friendship relationship because I was working so much. And the sad thing is, he knew all about guns at like a year and a half old. Mm. And I'm like, this guy knows way too much about guns and way too little about the Lord mm. and way less about me. Mm. And I thought like, man, Lord help me. Um, and one night, um, and, and I don't really get to share this detail with a lot of the people that know me, but one night, um, Lena was asleep and it was like 2.30 in the morning and uh, I was getting offline um, I was recruiting customers at like one in the morning. Yeah, horrible. But customer ends up finalizing the details of his gun. I had such a raging headache. I felt sick to my stomach. Um, I just felt wrong. I ended up going upstairs. Um, there's a little stair lift that takes me up there in my parents' house. And uh, I just jumped on the floor and I crawled into my room. And when I crawled into my room, Elena was sleeping, and our bed or mattress was on the floor of the room. And around the perimeter of the bed was, like, so many guns. And it looked like this, like, evil shrine. Mm. And I was like, I mean, instantly, it was like if the Lord was saying, like, look at Jonathan's God. And I instantly lost it. And I repented to the Lord. I said, God, I'm so sorry, Lord. Like... Um, and, and the Lord's grace and mercy obviously, you know, kept me and, you know, helped me. And I said, that's it. I'm going to do reforms. I told Elena, I'm not going to work more than X amount a week, you know, hours. And it's going to be good. And I started seeking the Lord again. That night, surrounded by the guns, was a transition point for Jonathan. But while he began making spiritual improvement, his physical health was steadily declining. As a teenager, I had so many friends whose lives were transformed by attending a Worldview Academy leadership camp. For many of them, it was the highlight of their summer because it was such a spiritually engaging experience. And today, Worldview Academy's mission continues. If you have a student between 13 to 18 and you care about equipping them with biblical truth so that they're prepared to stand firm and engage with the culture, then Worldview Academy is what you're looking for. Worldview Academy's week-long summer intensives cover topics in apologetics, servant leadership, and evangelism, all while building deep friendships with like-minded students. Your student will engage with 25 hours of interactive teaching, addressing questions like, how do I know that the Bible is true? Does God really exist? Who defines what is right or wrong? And what difference does that make in my life? Since 1996, over 42,000 students have called this one of the best weeks of their life. And with 18 summer intensives all across the country, there's certain to be one near you. Learn more and get 10% off your student's camp registration as a Compelled listener by using the promo code COMPELLED at worldview.org. Register for camp today at worldview.org while spots are still available. And remember to get 10% off using the promo code COMPELLED. You love Christian testimonies. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to Compelled. But imagine if you could enjoy Compelled stories from Christians throughout the ages, including those who've already passed away. 
Well, that's what our friends at YWAM Publishing are doing through their Christian Heroes book series by retelling the incredible stories of Christians like George Mueller, a man of prayer who ran an orphanage for 10,000 children in England who trusted God to miraculously provide food and shelter for those orphans, sometimes on a daily basis. Or Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband was murdered by the Aka tribe in Ecuador, but chose to forgive and move in with the tribe to share the gospel with them. Or Brother Andrew, who during the height of the Cold War smuggled Bibles to Christians behind the Iron Curtain, all under the noses of communist border guards who could have imprisoned him for life or worse. These are the types of stories that YWAM Publishing is printing, and their books are written for kids ages 10 and above, but frankly, adults love them too. They've published 50 of these biographies so far, and we just partnered with YWAM Publishing to bring you five of my favorite stories. These are the Christians that have inspired my faith and millions of others for decades, which include the three testimonies I just mentioned, as well as Corey Tin Boom and Amy Carmichael. We're calling it the Compelled Christian Heroes Bundle, and I actually worked with YWAM to select these five specific stories, and they agreed to drop the price in half just for compelled listeners. So it's $30 and includes free U.S. shipping. To buy this bundle for yourself or to give to a friend, visit compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. That's the letters Y-W-A-M, compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. And trust me, if you love listening to stories on Compelled, you're going to love reading these stories too. I started noticing like my health was just like not where it was. I started feeling like dead every single day. And every day I felt just worse than the previous day. And uh, one day it culminated in going to the bathroom. I, I saw that there was blood when I went urinate. And I thought, man. So I didn't tell my wife. And then in the morning it happened again. And I told her, I said, Darling, I gotta show you something. And when she looked, she was like, oh my. She's like, I'm gonna drive you to the ER right now. I was like, okay. So I'm looking it up, and of course, Google's telling me I'm gonna die. Um, but I really. Because everything. Everything, of course. Yeah, Google. Yeah, you have a cold and it's fatal. Yeah. Um, but it, basically, I ended up thinking, okay, it's probably a kidney stone, you know. But the doctor comes in and he goes, hey, you were right. You got a kidney stone. I was like, okay. So what are we gonna do? Like he's like, oh, we we don't have time to mess with your kidney stone. I was like, what? He goes, yeah, your white blood cell count is three hundred thirty-five thousand. And I was like, what does that mean? He's like, it's supposed to be like zero to ten thousand. And I was like, is that bad? He goes, that's leukemia. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, okay. What do we do? And he's like. I have no idea. He's like, I've never seen numbers this bad in this hospital's history. He's like, so the oncologists and hematologists are on the way. Just sit tight. And like, I had never seen my wife cry like that. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to cry now. So I start crying. And as she said, okay, well, you know, like, what is this plan of action? I said, I have no idea. Um, the doctor is going to come. And when he comes, we'll have a better idea. She said, okay. She's like, well, I really got to like, I gotta go back to feed the baby. You know, I gotta pray. He said, yeah, go pray. He says, I'm praying. Um, instantly, like, 
the peace of God, you know, guarded my heart and my mind and instantly took over. And it, it was so profound that I, I, there's not even words to say it. But I went from like being a like emotional wreck to all of a sudden like, boom. It was like if I was, if I was given a special grace, you know, to endure that and to know that everything's going to be okay. And to everything not be okay in a presumptuous way that I'm going to be healed and live mm-hmm. a long time. But it, but just to know who the Lord is, to remember who the Lord is. And, and to say like, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, like I will really not fear evil because you are with me. And you are with me here and in this hospital. And this didn't take you by surprise, neither did leukemia. You're doing something. I gotta trust you in it. And I was not thinking like, oh, you're young and you're gonna die and you're gonna leave your wife. Like none of those thoughts. Like it was crazy. The thoughts that I was really having was thinking of the Lord and the promises of the scriptures mm-hmm. and just reflecting on His faithfulness up until now. And it was like the Lord is saying, "You remember, you weren't supposed to have children. I gave you children. Remember, you weren't gonna get married, but I gave you a wife. Remember, like I brought you from death to life. I've given you newness of life. Like all of these words are true." And like it was, it was beautiful because the Lord doesn't know us anything, yeah, at all. Yeah, He doesn't know anybody anytime, right? To let alone to spend time with somebody and to to remind them of His faithfulness, you know. And like that hospital was like it was like an Ebenezer for me just to think about all the things of the Lord, and it was so healing and safe and like a safeguard. And it was like this, the Lord just guarding me, and it seemed like forever that I was by myself, really that hospital um, room and the Lord was just preparing me and then all of a sudden such a joy came over me the Lord's like look what I'm doing look what I'm about to do and it was so safe so precious and all of a sudden the doctor comes in Elena comes in and the doctor's like yeah you know you don't have very long we're gonna have to run while we talk I said, how long do I have? And he said, about four months. I said, wow. I said, yeah. And you see, when he said that I didn't fall into a million pieces, like, I was just like, wow, okay. And like, then, and, and again, this is not me. Like, this is just such a profundity. Like, I mean, the Lord just great, like, ingrained, like, such a countenance that I, I just don't have. And I, I didn't have, I didn't have any of this in me. And like, brought me to, like, it was like if I was living in light of eternity. Mm. Um, and I'm sitting there and he says, I'm going to give you some time. We're going to transfer you to another hospital. The procedures are going to begin. I said, okay. So I take my Enoch and I sit him down. I said, Enoch, Papa, you're my firstborn son and I love you with all my heart. I said, this is daddy's hardest day he's ever had to live. And you might have to live your hardest day without your daddy. Mm. I said, but do you know why I'm okay? Because Jesus is with me, Papa. Because I've been redeemed and forgiven of my sins. I'm right with God. And what awaits me, Papa, is an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. Mm. The scriptures tell me that I can rejoice in these trials. I said, so, Papa, trust in Jesus. Call upon him while he is near. The scriptures say, let the wicked forsake his ways and turn to the Lord. I said, so trust in Jesus. I shared the gospel and then he gave me a kiss and then I get Apollos. I'm like, you can't even speak English right now. I don't even know what to say to you, but I love you. Jesus is the Lord. I love you, son. Call upon him. And I prayed for him, prayed for Enoch. 
I held my Elena and I said, darling, you're beautiful, you're faithful, and you love the Lord. You fear the Lord. God will give you another husband. Everything will be okay. Just trust in him. I said, honestly, you might be even getting an upgrade. And, and like, these are not natural things that I would normally think of to say or whatever, but, you know, I, I, I felt it. I, I, I believed it. As Jonathan said goodbye to his family, he knew that he might be saying goodbye for the last time. His next procedure would be incredibly dangerous and had to happen right away. A doctor comes in, and he's really young. He's probably as old as us. And he said, uh, it's going to sound really grueling. He said, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, like, cut you in the neck. I'm going I'm to open your jugular. Uh, and before you bleed out, I have to put a catheter in there. Uh, and then I have to make sure that the line is correct. I have to do a CT scan on your heart, make sure that the line hasn't poked you know, anything important in your heart. Um, and then I have to make sure you don't bleed out. And he's like, and I got like two minutes to do it. Yeah, then I can't give you painkillers. I can't do anything because if anything goes wrong, like you, your reaction is going to be what tells me. I'm like, okay. And I said, well, do I have to do this? He said, I mean, it's doctor's order. I said, okay. He said, here, sign this paper. I said, can I have a moment to pray? He said, sure, yeah, whatever. So he leaves and the nurse comes in there. And she looks at me and she says, you don't have to do this. I said, I don't. She said, no. She's like, you're the boss here. None of us. She's like, so if you don't feel comfortable with it, don't do it. And I remember in the scriptures, you know, it's not done in faith, it's a sin. And I was like, man, I was like, in a strange way though, like, I feel like it's really just a matter of like, not really right and wrong, but just trusting the Lord or not. And because I don't have a better alternative, and because the Lord's not saying don't do it, I guess I'll do it. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. So he gives me the paper and I sign it. And I was like, Lord, I'm trusting in you. So then he lays me down. And you're awake and everything. Oh, yeah. I'm awake. You're going to watch this whole thing happen. Yeah. And he said, um, I'm going to put this, this, literally, it was a tarp. I'm gonna put a tarp over you, this little transparent window. And, uh, you know, we're gonna be watching you and if anything happens, he's like, you can't scream, you can't shout, you can't do anything. I, I just need you to um, squeeze my hand. And I said, okay. And he said, don't freak out. He said, control yourself because like the adrenaline's gonna make you bleed out faster. And I was like, oh, no pressure. Nice. So, I prayed like, Lord, Lord, help me. And I remember just thinking of the Lord and he's like, all right, incision made. So literally I felt as he like slit, like this part of my throat right here. And as soon as I started, as soon as I got that cut and I just felt like my body was saying with every fiber of my being red alert, something is horribly wrong. And there was nothing I can do about it. And I thought, Lord, Lord, you are faithful. You are faithful, Lord. And I started feeling like this feeling like if you don't do something, you're going to die, you know? And then I started thinking like, man, like the Lord Jesus really died for me. Mm. Like he really died. You know, he gave himself up for me on the cross. 
he was willing, you know? And realizing that no amount of suffering at a hospital table would be able to pay the price for my sins. It wasn't suffering that forgave me of my sins, my own suffering. There wasn't an amount of penance that we can pay. It was all the substitutionary work of Jesus on the cross. You live the perfect life that we could not live. And in that perfect life, he bears the sins of his people on the cross. And the great exchange occurred where our sins were placed on him. And for all who trust in him, we have his imputed righteousness. Mm. The great exchange that occurred. And in that moment, it was the Lord showing me that I was not suffering as a sinner. I was suffering as a saint. I was suffering as one that has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, one of his own, one of his people, one of his sons. I'm the bride of Christ. So I wasn't just going through this alone. Like this was ordained. This was God's plan. This was good. And there was this strange understanding and this dialogue almost of my own conscience and the Lord working in me that like was louder than the bleeding and was louder than the peril and was louder than the knife. It was all done. And he takes the tarp off me. He says, how do you feel? I was like, dude, I can't answer that. <laughs> He's like, okay, well, I'm going to do a CT scan, make sure that the pick line didn't, you know, puncture anything. I said, okay. So he said, all right. He's like, so lay there. The paramedics are going to come and transfer you to the hospital. Have a good night. And left. Okay. So then I'm sitting there and like, I'm like sweating, like more than I ever had in my life. And time to process. And when I would speak, it would brutally hurt. Mm. Cause like this, I mean, I had literally this like, this catheter in my throat. Yeah. And uh, so when I do that, oh, it was so painful. Um, and it was so hot. Um, and I was just like so uncomfortable. I was like, oh. Even though Jonathan was in terrible pain, the operation had been successful. The emergency room then made preparations to transfer Jonathan to another hospital where they would carry out the next set of procedures. So then the paramedics are like, okay, we're going to do a two-man lift. All right, can you help us at all? I'm like, do you not see that? Like, no, I can't help you. And they're like, okay, uh, we'll do a three-man lift. So like, they transferred me onto the hospital bed, from the hospital bed to the, you know, whatever uh, stretcher that they're going to take me in the, in the ambulance in. And like, they're like jolting me and like, it's hurting. Yeah. And uh, I was like, can I say bye to my family? They're like, no, we, we got to take you now. They're like, you're going to see, they're going to see you on the way. We're going to pass by the waiting room. So I said, okay. So sure enough, they're passing by and I see them all. And like, I say bye. And, and then it was such a blessing though, because I see my wife, I see my kids. And then I see my mom, huh. and I see my dad, huh. I see my brother, I see my sister-in-law, I see my other brother, I see my sister. I'm like, wow, thank you, Lord. And I start crying because I was like, man, Lord, thank you. Like, you know, these are, these are details that I, I didn't pray about, you know, but like, you knew my heart. And like, if it was to say goodbye, I... I I'm so grateful that you brought them to say goodbye. And yeah, I just, I felt so loved by the Lord and, you know, they were there and I could tell how scared they were. Um, so I remember as I'm seeing them, I'm praying like, Lord, like, let me be bold as a lion, Lord. So 
I just, I, I mustered up all my strength. And as brutally painful as it was, I smiled. And I remember smiling, like the way my facial structure is, I got a pretty big smile, so it pushes on that part of my oh, neck. Man. So I'm smiling. I said, the Lord is faithful. The Lord's faithful. And they're looking at me like, what are you talking about, you know? And my sister's not, you know, a believer. And, and, and you know, they're all probably looking at me like, man, like, but they saw that it was true, and they still see it's true. After Jonathan was transferred to the hospital, they began straining his blood, removing the overabundant white blood cells out of Jonathan's bloodstream, which threatened to kill him. While the doctors tried to restore Jonathan's white blood cell count to a normal level, God began restoring Jonathan's relationship with his dad, which had been strained for years. My, my dad, um, he sat with me, and uh, up until then, I, I didn't have like six or seven hours with my dad, you know? And I'm sitting there, and he's, he's holding my hand, and and I'm just like overwhelmed with the with the Lord's grace because um, I thought this was the end, but it was so beautiful. Like I couldn't have painted it any more beautiful in my imagination. It was so picturesque. Like it seemed like the Lord was giving me like like resolve to to live well and then to die well, and it seemed like the Lord was, you know, I really had hopes allowed me to like just get past all those arguments with my dad and and that he would really come to know the Lord and, you know, biblically worship him. And and uh, so I'm sitting there and, um, yeah, that was, that was the first time that my dad, uh, he looked at me and he says, mijo, he says, you know, in times like this, we just got to trust in the Lord and remember he's a sovereign God. And... Uh, you can imagine how healing that was for me. It was every fight we ever had. Um, and here when his son is like dying, he's, he's saying, yeah, God's sovereign. And for me, that was a bigger answer prayer than if I would have been better from leukemia. You know, I was like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that, you know, you're in control of my dad and you're going to work in his life. And I know that you know, you're going to work in Enoch and Apollos and Helena's going to be okay. And, um, yeah, it was almost like th that time was just, I laid it to rest, like thinking like everything's going to be okay. Jonathan was at peace and was now ready to die if that was God's plan. But it wasn't. God had something else in mind. Summer is here, and so is the chance to take a breather from school. And there's a decent chance that the subject your student is most excited to take a break from is math. But it doesn't have to be that way, especially if you're using CTC Math. Their focus is helping your student learn at the pace that's best for them. Every lesson is fully online with interactive questions and clear explanations. And their video tutorials take difficult concepts and break them down into digestible ideas. But here's the crazy part. They have a 12-month money-back guarantee. That's right, you can use CTC Math for an entire year. And if you don't like it, or it didn't work out for you, or if you're just unethical, which as a compelled listener, I hope you're not, then you just shoot them an email and tell them that you'd like your money back, and they'll gladly refund your entire purchase, no questions asked. There is literally no risk for an entire year. You can't beat that. 
because their heart is to serve your family. That's why they sponsor Compel, so that we can continue creating stories that will bless and encourage your family. And they want to do the same for your students' math needs. So whether summer is a time for your student to catch up, keep up, or move ahead, CTC Math is there. Learn more at ctcmath.com. Again, that's ctcmath.com. If you like to stay up to date with current events, then you'll especially appreciate another podcast I enjoy called The World and Everything in It. It's a daily news program, about 30 minutes long, delivered every weekday morning by Christian journalists from around the world. And they aren't just rehashing the current headlines. They're actually doing investigative, boots-on-the-ground journalism while providing biblical cultural analysis. I started listening to their show about five years ago when we first launched Compelled. And since then, they've become one of my go-to sources for understanding current events from a biblical perspective. But they pull no punches. In fact, they tell the facts just as they are, even when it requires sharing uncomfortable truths. Maybe that's why they're one of Apple Podcasts' top 100 news programs. Join me and thousands of other Christians from around the world who listen to the world and everything in it. Just search for The World and Everything in It in your podcast app or visit WNG.org. So, um, providentially, the doctor comes the next morning and says to me, Jonathan, I'm so sorry. I owe you a whole night's rest. I said, why? He goes, well, because when we did your bone marrow biopsy, um, it turns out that you're, 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 you're fine. He's like, I'm fine. No leukemia. He goes, no, you got leukemia. He's like, but like in the leukemia world, like that, the kind you have is fine. Like you just take a pill a day, it goes away. I was like, really? He goes, yeah. I was like, wow, praise the Lord. Uh, and he's like, yeah. But then my sister-in-law said, um, hey, John, you know, be sure to ask him about pregnancy. Because like I heard that these pills prevent pregnancy. And I'm like, oh, man. And like when I tell you that whole like, instant like sorrow i was hit with it again at the thought of not being able to have a a, a little girl it was another part of me me and elena always my little girl always wanted a little girl obviously i want my little boys i wouldn't train for anything in the world there's a special spot after i had little boys that i really wanted a little girl like i've always wanted a daughter and I said, so is this going to affect me having children? He goes, yeah, most people don't have babies on it because it's not really safe or good. So, but why? I mean, you already have babies here. Enjoy them. He's like, how many more do you want? I'm like, oh. mm. So like, man, brother, when he said that, like, keep in mind, the Lord just gave me some of the greatest news I'd ever heard in my life after I was going to die and now I'm okay. Yeah. But the real only pain that I ever felt at the hospital, the real only grief that I ever had at the hospital was the thought of not having a baby girl. Mm. Can you believe that? Mm. Isn't that bizarre? Mm. And it's like, oh, and it's like, man, you know? And and it was it was because this was what the Lord was going to show himself now and next, you know? Yeah. Um, and and I tell my Elena when I got out, um, I was like, darling, what if it's true? And she's like, that you're going to be healthy? That'd be wonderful. It's like, no, not, not about that, but the little girl and he's like you're really worried about that and I was like yeah she goes she's like darling what 
She's like, I'll just, I'll just be praying for you, darling. Okay. Hmm. It's like, thanks. <laughs> okay. So she's, yeah, I know she was praying for me and I know everybody was praying for me, you know, and the Lord was working and basically, um, you know, I, I ended up, um, going to see the doctor again and he ended up telling me like, this is medicine and it might, you know, I don't even know what it's going to do to you, to tell you the truth, but I hope it's just going to work and take away leukemia. So I said, okay. I looked online and of course that's the worst place to ever get advice or wisdom or, you know, anything on health stuff. Cause as soon as I type that medicine in, it's like my uncle died as soon as he took it. And my grandmother died and my grandfather died. I'm like, why are all these people dying with this medicine? I thought it was going to be good. Um, so like, I'm like really nervous and like anxious to take it. And, you know, it was almost like in that moment, in that season, the Lord, like almost that grace that he gave me in the hospital, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't as, as felt, you know, um, he gave me another grace, grace to build endurance, you know, um, and grace to trust him more. And so finally, so you were putting it off for days. I was putting it off for weeks. Yeah. My wife's birthday was coming up on the calendar and I looked and I said, okay, I'm going to take it after her birthday. So I called, I, I asked the, the brothers at the church, I said, hey, can you all help me do a birthday party for Elena? And a lot of the sisters volunteered. It was so beautiful. They were like a better birthday party than I could have ever imagined. And it was so sweet. The whole church was there. And uh, they, they made this birthday party for her. And in the birthday party, um, in my mind, it was going to be like the last memory where she had of me like without the medicine because I really thought it was going to affect me that bad. Uh, then the birthday party was over. And it's like, oh, I know what this means. So she was excited. She's like, darling, like, don't push it back anymore, please. For my birthday, just take your medicine. I was like, how am I going to say no? So I said, okay, yeah. all right, all right. So I went in there and I, I locked myself in the bathroom. And I must have cried for like four or five hours mm. before the Lord. Saying, Lord, I hate Oh my might that I have these struggles. Like I wish, Lord, with all my heart, I could be your most faithful servant. Lord, I want to trust you in every bit. Like you've never failed me, Lord. You've never failed me in anything. Lord, you've never failed anyone in history. You know, like shame on me for doing this. And um, I was grateful because the Lord wasn't beating me over the head. Yeah. You know, um, you know, He's a lifter of our heads, and. Uh, Basically, after a couple hours and just crying in agony, thinking like, what is this going to be? Um, I opened the bottle and I sat it on my counter and I prayed some more. And then I opened the bottle and I put the pills on the cap and I prayed some more. And finally, I was like, I just need to take the pills. <laughs> so I took the pills and I'm thinking like, I'm not dead, you know? And I was like, all right, maybe I'm not like, you know, someone's uncle or someone's grandma or some grandpa. I'm like, okay, praise the Lord. Woke up the next morning, sure enough, everything was okay. You and didn't die in your sleep. I didn't die in my sleep. I didn't have a heart attack. You know, my hair didn't fall out or whatever, like I thought. But then the transition was there where things did start changing. The medicine really started beating me up. Um... 
I ended up getting like a lot, a lot of weight. My eyebrows started falling out. I started feeling sick again. I started feeling like if I had leukemia, it was really weird. But it was the medicine killing all the bad cells. Because not only does it prevent the body from making stuff with tyrosinin kinase, it kills everything that has it, which is like 250,000 blood cells at that point. Yeah. So I was just getting beat up. My hair was turning white. Um, it was just a lot. But well, to me, the Lord like was so beautiful and so faithful, and it kept me. And... uh yeah, I just, you know, I I took it one day at a time and, you know, we ended up having a lot of sweet times because I sold the gun company um, and uh, I, I, I did away with that um, and I kind of left the firearms industry altogether and at that point I wasn't working but my conscience was free knowing that the Lord had this season to heal yeah, and that I wasn't worse than all the sinners because I was recuperating from leukemia, you know, and and it was like I was starting to find balance and like the lessons learned from all of these trials and the lessons learned from all of these hardships up until then. And it was beautiful because like I was I was able to like stop for a moment for the first time in a long time and just just to see the Lord's work and like chronologically, you know, and like reflect on it and meditate on it daily. And we started incorporating family worship in our in our family and we would like have time where we'd read the scriptures together and like I'd get to play with my kids and like everything was great. And even though my body didn't feel good. Like, we had never had a better season up until mm. then. Eventually, the doctors readjusted Jonathan's medication dosage, and his symptoms began improving. Months later, Jonathan made a visit to MD Anderson, a renowned hospital in Houston, which is considered one of the top cancer research facilities in the world. I go and I see him, and he just about lost his coffee when he found out that I had 325,000 in my blood cells. And he's like... You know, no one's ever had that high of blood count. Like, that is a world record. I was like, really? He's like, yeah. Like, by a lot. I was like, whoa. They took me to this little wing, the research laboratory at MD Anderson, and he took my blood. And this guy was, like, so excited to take my blood. Um, and he's like, can I see your original test? I said, yeah. So I got a phone. I showed him. He goes, wow. <laughs> he goes, you don't understand how cool this is. He's like, we're an international hospital. He said, we see everybody in the world eventually that comes with leukemia, your kind. He said, I've literally seen almost every case, and I've never seen one so bad, and now so good. I was like, really? He goes, yeah, usually people will be like, you know, kind of bad, and they'll be kind of struggling, or they'll be like, prima you know, really early on, and then they'll be like, you know, kind of doing good. But you were like, really horrible, and like, now really great. Like, you're doing better than before leukemia. He's like, so we're hoping to find like, the reason in your blood. I was like, I don't think you're going to find it in my blood. He's mm. like, why? I said, I mean, it's just the Lord's the Lord's doing, you know? And uh, I said, yeah. I said, maybe I'm just one of his most hard-headed children. Maybe this is the way I learn. And I could tell you, he was like, what is this guy talking about? But... It was humbling for me to realize that and it yeah. be like and to be like honest with that and say like man yeah you know ultimately it's it's about him and I know what others will like need is his words not my own later on I Lord gave us my baby girl so humbling Abigail our third miracle baby uh she's now um going on not eight and a half months eight and a half months yeah, yeah I used to ask why me when I was lost sometimes um 
but now it's like when I say that, I really mean like, Lord, why would you give me such grace and mercy? Like, why would you pour your love on me? You know, why would you have such patience with me? And why would you be so good to me? Um, so I know it's a strange thing to think that a guy in a wheelchair would be saying these things, but like, that's just truth. I mean, it's just, it's been incredible. Yeah. I'm grateful that this platform has been given to me hmm. so I could learn. And like I said earlier, it might be that I'm just the most stubborn knucklehead out of all of us. It, it really, it could be that. My wife might agree with that statement too. So, but yeah, I don't know. I'm just grateful for what I've been given. You know, so many times we look at these circumstances and be like, why, Lord? But I wouldn't train him for the world. Like, yeah. I wouldn't at all. Like, this has created such beauty and intimacy between me and the Lord. Like, I've seen him, like, at work every single day. And it's almost like it's there's an expectancy there now. Like, I, like, like, I know who I've believed in. There's a hymn that says, for I know who I've believed in, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed into him until the last day. And, yeah, I, like... I know who I've believed in mm. and, and I am more than persuaded that he's able. Um, and yeah, he, he, he keeps me, he keeps his word. And that's really the message that I hope that everybody hears. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for just letting me, you know, sit down here and talk with you. I really appreciate yeah. the chance to hear your story and yeah. thank you so much for sharing it with others. Um, I pray that God uses it mightily. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, it's such a blessing. In the weeks since I met with Jonathan, I've had a lot of time to think about suffering. I injured my arm a few weeks ago and actually had been pretty annoyed by it. But after visiting with Jonathan, I realized that my injury was trivial compared to Jonathan's disability. And I was convicted, not just by the way I've been frustrated by my injury, but also by the way I had not acknowledged God as sovereign even in that area of my life. Jonathan's testimony has encouraged me to rely upon God no matter what situation I'm in. And I hope that Jonathan's story has encouraged you as well. You can learn more about Jonathan and see some family photos of his by visiting compelledpodcast.com. While you're there, make sure to listen to some of our other stories that I think you would find encouraging as well. Like I mentioned at the beginning of today's show, we only have one more episode left in our season and it's powerful. So stay tuned for a sneak peek at the end of our credits. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Compelled Podcast and on Twitter at Compelled Show. Please leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. It's one of the best ways that you can help other people find our show. If you'd like to support the work that we're doing with our podcast, then here are a couple of ways you can help out. The first way you can support Compelled is by sharing this episode with your friends. If you know someone who would be encouraged by Jonathan's story, then please send this episode to them and consider sharing it on social media. It really does make a difference and it helps spread the word about the show. The second way is to join Compelled as a monthly member starting at $10 a month. All of our monthly members receive access to different perks, including behind the scenes recordings from our interviews. When I actually sit down and interview guests, the actual recording is normally around two hours. And there are all kinds of stories and insights that we end up cutting out of the final episode because of time constraints. But if you really enjoyed listening to a guest like Jonathan today, then you can dive deeper and listen to all of our behind-the-scenes content when you become a monthly member. But of course, the biggest benefit of being a monthly member is you're allowing Compelled to continue sharing these important stories. You can become a monthly member today by visiting compelledpodcast.com and clicking the link at the top that says Become a Member. This episode was edited by Zach Fowler. 
find them online at zachfowlerimagery.com. Our logo is designed by Josiah Jost. View his work at siadesign.com. Our website was created by Ben Billups. Follow Ben on Instagram at ben.billups. Our media assistant is Frank Allegrea. Find him on Twitter at TheFrankAllegrea. Our music outro is by Ben Jackson and Brian Facchino, and our assistant producer is none other than my wonderful wife, Sarah Hastings. Stay tuned for a sneak peek from our season finale next week with Gracia Burnham. Gracia and her husband were serving as missionaries in the Philippines when they were kidnapped and held hostage by Muslim terrorists for over a year. Gracia's story is a powerful illustration of what it means to pray for our enemies and to forgive. I'm your host, Paul Hastings, and we'll be back with this season two finale of Compelled next Tuesday. They got on the phone right away and made a bunch of demands, Uh, you know, money and this and that. And the government response was to cut the phone lines. And Philippine military, of course, surrounded the place and uh, there was shooting, shooting, shooting. And um, these A-10s came in bombing the place. I thought we would die there. I was pretty sure we would. We were just going to die. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on The Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com.